The dark room is a place of process and development. A place where moments are captured, details are exposed, and images are revealed. What if everything we're striving for in life can be revealed through a shift in perspective? What if our lack of focus on who Christ is in us corrupts our destiny and impact? What if we could adjust our lens and fix our eyes on the right image? What if we could filter our mind and capture who God really is? What if we could change our position and expose the lies we believe? Who is God? Jesus, the image of God revealed. everybody to week five in our series. As you can see today, we're going to do something just a little bit different. We're actually going to preach today kind of from a panel style. So this is going to be more of a conversation and I really wanted to do this and we actually take the time to do this uh, every so often because we really believe that as we approach like scripture more as a conversation, more than just a monologue, we really believe that it can unlock some things in, in your life. And we, as we have a conversation over, as Corey said, the book of Colossians and this letter that we're studying, we really want to make this letter really be impactful in your life. We, we really want you to gain some truth and some knowledge from it. I know seven years ago when I took over as lead pastor, I said that this church is not going to be based on one mic and, a, and one man and a microphone. It's not just about one man's gift. And so that's why you hear from a collection of different people. Like last week, you heard from Julia. This week, we're doing a panel. Next week, you're going to have an opportunity to hear from a good friend of mine, Sean, who actually oversees Love City as he unpacks Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And I just really think that, man, what we've covered in this series so far has really been Amazing. If you've been coming, hopefully you've enjoyed and hopefully you have been empowered by what we've been studying out. As a matter of fact, I think it's so good. I actually want to ask Corey, what do you think the best part of the series has been so far? Well, I'm going to be biased. That's okay. Brownie points. You guys like what my wife had to say last week? She did amazing, didn't she? Actually, I think like one of the best things, though, was the simplicity of your week three message. Uh, to be mature was to be basic because it was so practical and so, like, enlightening, wasn't it? Have you guys remember that? It's good stuff. Yeah, I think for me, part of the best thing that I've seen and discovered so far is probably, I'm not going to say anything for myself. I'll say something from Corey and what he preached in week two and how he really simply unpacked how Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that God now is in a good mood. And if we view God in any other way, then seeing him through a lens of what Jesus looks like, then we have got our view of God wrong. Because not only does it say that in Colossians, also in other places in Hebrew, it says that Jesus is the exact representation of 
God. And I just love that series, and I love that message where Corey just really unpacked what it meant of how God progressively revealed himself through Scripture, ultimately revealing who he was in the person of Jesus. And if you weren't here that second week, I really encourage you to go on our website, Home at Cornerstone Online, or Home at cornerstone.com and check out that message. Well, anyone uh, that may be here for the first time and you haven't been with us in this series, basically what we're doing is just doing a walkthrough in the book of Colossians. We're taking this letter either verse by verse or section by section. Week one, we really talked about the importance of who we are, our identity in Christ. As I said, week two, Pastor Corey, he talked about who Jesus is and how he reveals who God is to us as well. Week three, I did talk about what it means to be mature in Christ. To be mature is to be basic, that it's simply Jesus. Let's keep our attention and our focus on him. And then last week, as Julie was here, man, she preached an incredible message, but she closed out by talking about how we are not to empower a disempowered enemy, that we can walk around living confidently knowing that we fight and we train from a victorious place that the enemy has already been defeated. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're going to be towards the end of the second chapter in this little section. It's only eight verses, but it is an important section in this letter because in these eight verses is where Paul kind of makes a shift in his writing. As a matter of fact, we started off by talking about our identity, but here the transition is going to go to be talking about our responsibility now that we know who we are in Christ and how Christ is in us. Now, how do we live? How do we walk this out? And so this is going to be a very important piece and part of this letter that I really, really wanted to unpack with Corey. That's why we're doing it panel style today. Yeah. So we're getting into the transition. Speaking of transition, if you've noticed the swag that we've got on, new Zoe apparel you can get in the lobby, $20 a piece. They are color comfort. You don't understand. They are so comfortable. All right. You don't care. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. We're going to read these real quick, and then we're going to dive in. we got three points for you guys today. It's going to be real simple, real quick, and real fun, and we're going to have a good time. You guys ready? Three people already. All right. Verse 16, it says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however is found in Christ. So if you're taking notes, point number one is this. Don't be a puppet. Don't be a puppet. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, as you see, Paul, in this very first verse, verse 16, he says, therefore, don't let anyone else judge you. You know, oftentimes we let others' judgment of us and others' opinions and thoughts of us, we allow them to control our life. We live a puppet to what their judgment of us is. And so we're just saying, can we just cut the string? Can we just get to a place where we don't allow others' judgment of us and how we live because we are free people? Can we just not allow them to control our lives? Can we live empowered and controlled by the Spirit, not by people? Remember, this was a letter that was written to Gentiles, so non-Jewish people. And Paul is saying not to let anyone judge you for failing to observe the Jewish feast. Because remember, this was like a big deal in the first century. To not partake in the Jewish feasts would have been like a form of heresy. Like, are you kidding me? you got to do these things. He even brings up two specific things. The New Moon Festival, 
which was all about a representation of uh, the new beginning or renewal in your mind and spirit. He even brings up the Sabbath, which people argue even today about the Sabbath. Is it Saturday? Is it Sunday? What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to do this. And, and they miss the revelation that the Sabbath is so much less about a day and so much more about a person. Like Jesus is the Sabbath, and if Jesus lives in you, it's recognizing the rest that we experience in our position already as sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. Super important for us to understand. Yeah, so important because, you see, we have to get to a place where we understand that in this letter what's happening is people that are called Judaizers, they're coming in, right? This is a new church plant. They put their faith in Jesus, and now people are coming and saying, look, that's great. You believe in Jesus Man, I believe in Jesus. This is wonderful. But you actually got to start observing some of these laws now. You got to start observing some of these festivals. You actually, at some, in some places, they say, man, you got to actually be circumcised. Imagine a man hearing that after you come to Christ. Uh, I Can don't know. Can you imagine door-to-door <laughs> evangelism today? And then, All right, buddy, drop your pants. Maybe that was too far. But that was the reality of what was happening in Scripture. Do you understand? Like, you might be like, okay, that's offended. This is not the church for us. Okay, this was happening in the first century. There were actually people that were roles to go peek on people. How do you do that? I don't know. But I wouldn't want to be that guy. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be that guy either. (laughs) I sure hope not. (laughs) Yeah, so this was all about Jesus. Hopefully that, that brings some freedom in your life. Because I know maybe it's not necessarily what you believe about Jesus, but other things. How often do we allow what other people's opinions of us dictate how we live? And that that shouldn't be. Like, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You have power. So don't be controlled by what other people think or say. Just do you. Yeah, just do you. Don't be a puppet. The second second section we're going to get into, starting in uh, verse 18, it actually says this. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their what? Unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. So the second thing that we want to encourage you with today, and please write this down. The second thing is this, don't lose your head. Don't lose your head. Yeah, it's kind of a play on words, right? There's two thoughts behind this. This The one is the power of your thoughts, the way that you think, because the way that you think determines how you live. And so be a person that can conquer your mind. But second, this passage was specifically talking about is Christ being the head of the church or Christ being the head of the body. You can't, you can't hate the church, but love Jesus. It's like me saying to my wife, hey, you got a pretty face, but the rest of you. Just leave it right there. (laughs) What he's trying to get at is quit being so super spiritual. You know know these people. Hopefully hopefully it's not you. But if it it is you, if you can't think of anybody, maybe it is you. But, But Paul takes the ultimate shot right here. Uh, by fo- by telling those, saying to those who focus on spiritual rituals or rules that they have missed the mark, right? He actually calls them unspiritually minded because it is only about Jesus. Yeah, it's only about Jesus. As a matter of fact, I like to say it this way. Don't be so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. 
right? We, we know those people that we, we, we get around and they're like always like thinking like they want to have these visions and these dreams and oh, what about the angels? And you know, they're, they're like living in like some third heaven. And I'm just like, man, can you just bring heaven here? What about like loving your neighbor well, right? Well, what about going out and, and showing love to somebody who desperately needs it? Man, it's fine to want to wanna, to want to pray and to want a man seek, man, just knowledge and revelation from either scripture or from, you know, just messages that we've heard that we've heard. But if we're not actually applying what we've heard, we are missing the heart of the gospel and what it is that Jesus really wants us to accomplish. So don't be so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. Matter of fact, Paul picks up on this. And uh, it's a really crazy little section of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says this, he says, I knew a man who actually went up to the third heaven. He said, whether he went there in body or went there in spirit, I do not know. He saw amazing things, but I'm not even going to tell you what what he saw. And I'm thinking, dude, if somebody goes up to heaven and they come back, man, I want to know, like, what's it like? What was happening? What was going on? Tell me some detail. But Paul says, look, I can go into detail, but it's not important. What's important about not trying to get to heaven, it's about bringing heaven here. It's about bringing love right here where you're at. And he goes on to say, look, so I'm going to just boast in my weakness. I'm not going to boast in this fact that I can have crazy revelation and I can, you know, prophesy at the drop of a hat and I can do all these super spiritual things. Man, no, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses because it's in my weakness that Christ makes himself look strong. And so he gets the glory for everything that I'm doing. And so, uh, so yeah, I think it's yeah, good. I, yeah. I think it's also good to be like, okay, I, I love mission trips. I think you should go to Guatemala if you haven't signed up for that or it's probably too late. If you want to go on a mission trip, that's great. But I feel like a lot of times in Christian cultures, we use the excuse of at least I'm going to a third world country, so therefore I don't need to walk across the street to get to know my neighbor. And, and that's wrong. Like so many times we focus on, okay, I, I got to have like, my quiet time before I engage in the world. And, that, and that's great. And that's for, I'm not, I'm not condemning you. That's great. I encourage quiet time. But sometimes we focus so much on our quiet time that as long as we check the quiet time box off our list of things to do, we don't have to talk to our person in the cub- cubicle next to us about Jesus or, or love people. And I'm not talking again about being super spiritual. You don't got to bring Jesus into every conversation because if you are truly living Jesus, you will be attractive without shoving Jesus down people's throats. So let's be real mindful of the reality that we all have a part to play, and there's people that need what we have on a daily basis. It's really important. The last thing is this, and and we told you it was going to be short and sweet, uh, is he finishes the chapter two. He finishes this whole thought. He's about to transition into responsibility, but he leaves them with this last thought in uh, verse 20. It says this. He says, since you died with Christ to the elementary or elemental spiritual forces, you might want to highlight that because the pastor is going to talk about that in a second. Of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Sound like the Christianity you might have grown up with? These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Man, this little section right here, these three verses, man, are so key and so critical. Matter of fact, Paul says, since you died to the elemental forces of the world, we have to understand what those elemental forces were. 
those actually were the, the Ten Commandments. Those were the laws that people set up in the Mosaic Covenant. And, and he, here Paul is saying, look, you died to that. Why are you still trying to live your life based on a set of rules and regulation that Jesus came to fulfill for you? Matter of fact, the, the, I love how the message uh, version puts this section in these three verses. It actually says this. And a matter of fact, I, I'm going to have to turn around to read it if we can get that pulled up just real quick. It says, so then, if with Christ you've put all that pretentious and infantile religion behind you, why do you let yourselves be bullied by it? Don't touch this. Don't taste that. Don't go near this. Do you think things that are here today and gone tomorrow are worth that kind of attention? And then he goes on to say, such things sound impressive if said in a deep enough voice. Don't do this. Don't touch that. They even give the illusion of being pious and humble and ascetic, but they're just another way of showing off, making yourselves look important. You see, that's what the law does. Whenever we try to live our life based on the old covenant, all it does is cause us to compare ourselves with other people. And whenever we actually can check off a few more boxes and, oh, they're doing this, I don't do that, it causes us to, you know, to be puffed up a little bit. Oh, I'm better than them. Or if other people are living by this set of laws and we're not quite able to, it causes us to feel inferior. Man, oh, woe is me. Oh, man, I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner because I can't live up to what what he's doing right over there. And so you see, you know, Paul saying, look, can we get out of that mindset? Can we move past this infantile religion? That's what he called it. Can we move past that? Man, that was just a shadow of what was to come. Now the real thing has come. His name is Jesus, and it's all about simply a relationship with him. So stay connected to him. Follow him. Yeah, so point number three is this. Don't play Holy Spirit. Don't play Holy Spirit in other people's lives. The law brings about no real change. This has nothing to do with salvation but about living free now. Guess what? We live under one law and one law only. It's the law of love, to love as Christ has loved us. So when you can get rid of the Ten Commandments, so many people are so scared to get rid of the Ten Commandments because they think that that's the law for us. But guess what? You ain't going to be murdering somebody if you're loving somebody. You're going to be honoring your parents well if you're loving well. You're going to love God well if you're focused on loving God well. And in fact, do you know that there's not a new covenant commandment to love God? It's all about faith in God but love for people. Because your faith will be exposed in how well you treat people that have Jesus in them. Really important to understand. So there are three things that Paul addresses that have the appearance of wisdom. And remember, as Julia talked about last week, he is dealing with a crowd that understood, worshipped, and followed Gnosticism. Gnosticism. It was specific belief at this time. And the first one, he, he, he condemns them for having an appearance of wisdom is this, self-imposed worship, which is all about you. I don't know about you, but in high school, I remember worshiping in our student ministry to impress Allison Girali. That was a high school crush, you know, like, oh, she's making her eyeballs here. There they go. Hands go up. Oh, she's not looking. My hands are tired. Oh, she's looking. Oh, look at me. Why? Because I wanted her to think I was a godly guy. Come on, I wasn't following with Jesus in high school. And we might make jokes about this in high school, but how many of us do this in our walk with God? Right? We try to impress other people to make them look like I'm a good husband. But you go home with your wife, 
And you ain't a good husband. Or, man, man, look at the way I'm parenting my kids, but when I get home, I'm beating the trash out of them. Notice my wife laughing the loudest. <laughs> I'm going to back up. <laughs> Long no. prayers, right? The, the, Jesus, do you know that Jesus' only public condemnation of sin was one of religious activity? Only, he only publicly condemns religious activity. He condemns the Pharisees for their long, exasperated prayers. Like, have you ever been in a room and that person just prays for like 15 minutes and your palms are sweaty because you're like, okay, we got stuff to do. Like, I think some of the most passionate prayers are like, God, I need help. You know, it's not about the length of your prayer as much as it is about your heart in it. In fact, he even talks about large offerings. Like, are you the type of person that loves to give but loves to tell people how much you give? Like, look at how generous I am. Jesus condemns the Pharisees for the same thing. It's not about giving so that other people look at how generous you are. It's not about posting it on Facebook about the fact that you gave $10,000 away this past year, which the only reason why you did that was for a tax credit. You know, this was, Paul was confronting people's heart issues. He's confronting the way that we live Jesus, as Julia talked about last week. Like, where are you at in that process? Yeah, so self-imposed worship, right? It has the appearance of wisdom and what Paul was talking about. And I didn't mean to kind of laugh at you for raising your hand earlier uh, whenever you were worshiping to impress a girl because I've always said, man, I think there's a reason why God did not give me the ability to worship, to sing, to play an instrument. Oh, because I'd so be that guy. You'd be the Shannon Bannett <laughs> band. You know those guys that have a full band, but they're only known by the <laughs> lead singer? Name, probably. Man, I'd be up here just... Dave Matthews band? No one can name any of the other instruments? <laughs> Nobody. Just Dave Matthews. But no, I think what you're, what you're onto is so important, this self-imposed worship, even this idea of these long prayers. You know, because I've always thought, you know, man, you know, I, I'm thinking about Paul and he says, pray without ceasing. And I'm thinking, man, I, how do I pray like 24 hours a day? What, what does that even look like? And even last night, whenever we were over at City Campus, I just had this thought, like, I know one thing that really set me free was actually something that you taught uh, several years ago out of First Thessalonians and what Paul said and what that actually means. So just for everyone here today, can you kind of break that down and give them some kind of freedom in that? Yeah, so First Thessalonians, I think it's like 5, 16 or 17, one of those. It says, pray without ceasing. And if you read it with, with my perspective, I'm like, I got stuff to do. Like, how, how do you pray without ceasing? And it was actually in a Greek class in seminary, like, I hated Greek class, so don't be impressed, and you can find out way more stuff on the internet today. But there were a couple phrases that they taught us uh, when we would dissect scriptures, and one of them was this passage, and to pray without ceasing in the Greek literally is this phrase, it's like hyper, hyperbole, that means to come to rest, come to rest. So, you know, Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to rest, come to me, all who is weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is the Sabbath day, is a permanent state of rest. Actually, your continual prayer life is understanding your position as a son or daughter in the kingdom of God. You are praying 24-7, whether you recognize it or not, when you are trusting Jesus. Come to rest. Come to a revelation of who you are. That's so good. And it ties actually back into what he opened up with in this section as far as like, look, it's not about just a Sabbath. Matter of fact, he says that was a shadow of the thing to come. And so a shadow isn't the real thing, right? Something has to be real to cast the shadow, and the real thing was Jesus. And so it's in him we find our rest. Jesus is the Sabbath. And so when we find our rest in him, that's when we can pray without ceasing, knowing that 
it's our position in him, not some proclamation that we're trying to make. You might want to write that down. Yeah. Someone write that down. That's tweetable. It, it's recorded. What'd you say? I don't Position, even know. Position, proclamation. I don't know. P's and P's. He's so good. I don't, just... Okay, hold on. Before you go on, this guy is, if you knew how much work he put into like making creative sermons, like acronyms, that basic thing a couple weeks ago, like slave, like he, he writes messages so that you can remember them. I'm thankful for you, Thank buddy. you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Golf clap. You got a golf clap. It's all right. Well, coming up with the acronyms is the easy part. Like, we do that in like, or I do that in like five minutes. Oh, It's actually oh, sorry. like the content. No, I'm trying to okay. say like the acronym isn't the, the hard Take thing. Take that back. It's, it's we'll not the edit acronym. that from the online stuff. It's actually making sure that False the content. False sense of humility with, right there. That was a perfect segue because <laughs> that is exactly what Paul says here, he says, look, there are some things that have the appearance of wisdom. First is this self-imposed worship. The second thing is false humility. You see so many people, you know, they, they walk around and you've probably met these people that walk around and, you know, they're doing maybe some amazing things for God. But every, every time you approach them and they're like, man, you're doing amazing work. And man, what you're doing is awesome. Keep going. They're like, oh, brother, I can't take any credit. It's all him. It's all Jesus. Can we get to a place that we recognize that Jesus wants to co-labor with us? Yes, Jesus is in us. Yes, he wants to work in and through our lives, but he also chooses to co-labor with us. And so what Paul is trying to get across in this whole letter, even from the very beginning, is it's okay to give glory to God, but it's okay also to be grateful for people. Matter of fact, in the very first chapter, when we talked about this, he says, man, I thank God for you. Man, I, I, I'm hearing of all the amazing things that you're doing and the love that you have for each other. But then right in the middle of that first chapter, he says, but also, hey, remember Epaphras, right there, pastor. Man, he's a fellow servant. He's doing amazing work. He's actually here with me now, and he's sharing with me while I'm in prison how amazing you guys are. So it's glory to God, but it's okay to be grateful for people. Man, you can look at someone and truly mean it when you say, man, good job. Man, I'm proud of you. Man, God's doing amazing things in you. Man, keep it up. And whenever they're like, you know, well, all glory to him. and say, yeah, all glory to him is great, but man, he's doing some amazing things in you too. Glory to God, grateful for people. Yeah, yeah that's, oh man, we could talk about this for another 45 minutes, but I won't. I, I, if, if you can't, I'll say it this way. So many times people talk about the fact that God doesn't need us, and I understand the thought, but without us, God chooses to do nothing. Because he has no body except yours. So if Jesus lives in you, you are the walking Jesus on this earth. You have power. There should be a confidence about you, not because it's anything you've done. Again, you didn't earn the grace, you received it. So it should produce confidence in people to actually make Jesus' name famous in not a creepy way. You know, like Christians should be the most attractive people in the world. We say it like almost every week because we want you to get it. People, Christians should be the most fun people in the world. We really should be. And we should be making the greatest impact in the world because we have power inside of us. Super important to... To recognize this, like true humility, Bill Vanderbilt said it this way, 
It's not thinking less of yourself, just thinking of yourself less. Like, don't think, oh, man, it's, it's, you know, like, no, you should be confident in who you are. Yeah. You are an incredible human being that's capable of great things because a great God lives in you. Just don't think about yourself all the time in a selfish way. Meet the needs of people around you. Go invite your neighbor out to eat and bless them. Be that person that shows what humility is. In fact, the scriptures tell us that Moses was the most humble man in the world. Moses wrote that about himself. There you go. You're getting it. John, the disciple, said he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. If, if those were two dudes on the stage today, if you were John and I was Moses, they'd call us heretics for claiming to be humble. But I understand that my humility is not from me. It's from knowing who I am as a son in the kingdom of God. And so the third thing that Paul was, was, was addressing, self-imposed worship, false humility, then he gets real specific, and because and this was real specific in this culture, it might not be as specific today. I know people do this. I encourage you to do this. But it was the harsh treatment of the body, specifically fasting. And fasting is good, but the scriptures even tell us that when you fast, don't tell nobody. What was happening is people were like, oh, I can't eat that because I'm fasting. Did you hear? I'm fasting. And then you walk away going, oh, man, that person's super spiritual. Maybe I should fast. But they're just telling you to make themselves look better. If you're going to fast, don't tell nobody. And fasting has very little to do with making God move on your behalf. I've been taught this my whole life, that when you fast, God acts. That's not true. When you fast, it actually gives you a perspective that God is always acting. Fasting is for you, not for God. Fasting is for you to get a different perspective. So, yeah. It was also avoiding certain foods and spiritual for spiritual reasons, like if you want to avoid meat for health issues, that's great. But if you want to avoid meat because you're fasting, don't tell nobody. Like, oh, you eat pork? I don't. You're going to hell? No. <laughs> Just kidding. I, I really think that's so important, especially in the season that we're in, and especially what Paul's talking about here as far as, like, you know, don't allow other people's judgment of you to control you. Matter of fact, well, we live in a very heavily Catholic-influenced area. And, you know, this past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. It started the season of Lent. And you might have people come up to you and like, what are you giving up for Lent this year? It's okay to say, you know, I'm giving up Lent for Lent. <laughs> and that would be okay. But then also, we don't allow them to control us and judge us. But we're not going to cast judgment on them if they want to give up something. You see, because they are our brothers and sisters too. And we can love them right where they're at in their understanding where, where, where they are. And if it helps them, right, get to a place where they have time set aside as they are maybe fasting and giving up something to connect with Jesus, man, we can encourage that. We don't have to have that as a rule for us unless we want it. But Paul says here, man, you don't have to go there. You don't have to be super spiritual. You don't have to have this appearance of wisdom. You need to recognize that Christ is in you at all times. You have direct access to him. And so, man, just as we kind of kind of close and, and, and wind down today, I, I want to just bring out just a couple of different things. You know, we, we started with this whole idea today of not being a puppet, right? Not allowing other people's judgment of what you do, right? Because they were trying to say, look, Jesus is okay, but you need to do this or that. And no, you are free people. So don't allow other people's judgments to control you. And then we ended, right? Don't play Holy Spirit. Don't try to control other people in their walk and what they are doing. Allow the Spirit to do that. I think he can do a better job than we can. 
So don't allow others to control us. We're not to control others. Well, then where do we live? Right in the middle, it was our second point. Don't lose your head. Right, it's about Jesus. We're to be focused on him. We're to be connected to him. Matter of fact, we are to be led by the spirit. You know, Paul in other letters and other places says, don't walk by the flesh, but be led by the spirit. We're to be spirit controlled. So it's not about others controlling us. It's not about us controlling others. It's about allowing the spirit to lead and guide our lives in such a way where we actually just follow what he says, where he leads, where he's guiding us, and not necessarily just another person. You got anything before we yeah, pray? Th- that's, just, that's what makes you attractive, right? Have you ever been in a room where, like, someone's trying to tell you what to do, and even if it might be right, you don't want to do it? If you're not being the Holy Spirit for other people and if you're not allowing other people's judgments or convictions attached to you, if Jesus hasn't spoken to you, people will want what you have because of the way that you live. They will ask questions because of the way that you live. And that is what is attractive. That is what is mesmerizing. That is what people want. They don't want to be, you know, Jesus stuffed down their throat with a bunch of rules and regulations and you got to do this and you can't do that. Like, just be you. Paul says it like this. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. And he wasn't just telling people that to say, hey, mock what I'm doing exactly. No, he's like, look, I'm living my life in such a way where I'm just following Christ's lead in my life. So follow me in doing that in your life. Follow after him. 